Good morning. Uh, I'll start with an English ch chant. Oh, I'm surprised I see someone that I haven't seen in quite a long time here. <laughs> okay. Um, lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from death to immortality. Lead us from darkness to light. Light is... got that backwards. I was so surprised. <laughs> Lead us from death to... Im no. Anyway. <laughs> Give us peace. Um, <laughs> peace, peace, peace be unto us all. What is... Today we're going to talk about our worst enemy and our best friend. And I think everyone already knows what that is. It's our own mind. Because we've heard this many, many times. Our own mind, according to Sri Krishna, is our best friend at times and our worst enemy. And why does he say this? Because our mind prompts us to action, and action in, makes karma. Thoughts and actions make karma. They can either lead us towards our goal or it can take us away from our goal. So there we have the first part of what we have to do. We have to establish a goal for our life. Now that can be anything. It's up to each individual. What do you want from this life? Do you want um, success? Do you want power? Do you want money? Do you want um, friends? Do you want recognition? Or do you want something beyond this seeming reality that we're living in? Do you want God? Do you want to realize who you really are? So our first thing that we have to do in any endeavor is to set a goal. Once we've set that goal, then we can incorporate the tools we have to use to get to that goal. And the one we're going to talk about today is our mind. Our minds are a collection of some scars. I think you all know some scars, past impressions. They're in our being when we arrive in this birth. The mind is influenced while we're embodied by the gunas, which are moods, emotions, feelings. There's three gunas, sattva, rajas, and tamas. Sattva is peacefulness, tranquility, um, contentment. What we talk about when, in the Bible, they say the peace that passeth all understanding. We talk about a peace that pervades you every day. This is sattva. It is not God-realization. It makes living in this embodiment, in this maya, more pleasant. Rajas, as stated in the Gita, has two faces, rage and lust, the ravenous and the deadly. You have to recognize these because this is your enemy to any kind of achievement of your goal. To quote the Gita, as they describe Rajas, smoke hides fire, 
dust hides a mirror. The womb hides the embryo. By lust, the Atman is hidden. Lust hides the Atman in its hungry flames. The wise man's faithful foe, intellect, senses, and the mind, are fuel to its fire. Thus it deludes the dweller in the body, bewildering his judgment. Thomas is inertia, laziness, depression, going down into that rabbit hole that you can't get out of. That's Thomas. When you don't want to get out of bed in the morning, you don't want to do anything, you have no pleasure in life. All these prompt us to action, every one of them. And every action that we have has a ripple effect in our life. We don't only affect ourselves. We affect everyone around us. We have our, the ripple goes out, 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 like we were skipping stones in a pond. And you know how when you've dropped it in and it goes boop, 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 boop. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh, I'm going to quote him too. He has a, a pretty good description. There's a whole river of feelings, the gunas, flowing in as day and night. Every feeling is, is a drop in that river. A feeling is born, it manifests, it stays for a while, and then passes away with the river. We can sit on the bank of the river of feelings and observe recognizing each feeling as it manifests, seeing it, recognizing each feeling, seeing it remain, and seeing it pass away. We shouldn't identify ourselves with these feelings, nor should we try to push them away. They're there. We're free, even from our own feelings but we have to train ourselves to recognize these feelings. And with mindfulness in the Buddhist tradition or viveka discrimination in Vedanta, we can bring forth a feeling of well-being, of happiness at any time. I mean, when we think about this, we do not have to identify ourselves with every little slight that happens, all of this identification with our feelings is nothing but our small ego asserting itself over and over and over again. <laughs> and we all have this ego. Um, and no matter how long you practice detaching yourself from your feelings, not detaching, recognizing them for what they are, that they are passing things, they don't last forever. I mean, think about how many different feelings and different emotions you have every single day. Every day, something happens. Oh, it's not sunny out. Oh, dear, what am I going to do today? Oh, the sun just came out. Well, that makes it much better. But these are all passing emotions and feelings that we have. The reality is we have not changed at all. Okay. This is also the message that you have in the Katu Upanishad. 
which the basic message is to get over the fear of death, because there is no death. But how do you do that? Um, according to the king of death, as he told the story to Najiketa, you have to choose between the good and the pleasant. Now, the pleasant is the path of sense enjoyment, the desire for power, fame, recognition, wealth. The good is a more difficult path. You have to choose what will lead you to God, if that is your goal, or what will lead you to your goal. Now, every, everything I have read, athletes, successful business people, all have to give up something to get something. And we use, to get the Lord, we give up the lesser for the greater. And I think this is what is true in all of life. You make a judgment, what's going to get me there? So the path of the good is, will lead us to God, duty, responsibility, dharma. It doesn't sound quite as exciting as the path of the pleasant. <laughs> but we have to remember at all times what our goal is. And we are a collection of choices. Every choice that we have made in our life has made us what we are today. Choices create habits. Habits create our character by which we judge ourselves and everyone else does. So we have to choose wisely. Sometimes not so easy, but that... And if our goal is peace of mind, which I think all of us would like to have, rather than the scattered, drunken monkey who's been stung, stung by a bee that's running around in circles, which most of our minds are, when we start, sit down, and if, if, when you have sat down to try to meditate for the first or second time, you sit there, and all of a sudden, I mean, your mind is all over the place, and you can't find out how to grab hold of it, because it is like that drunken monkey. But how do we start and when do we start? Well, as Emerson said, this time, like all time, is a very good one, if we know what to do with it. That's where our choices come in again. We have to think about what we want to do with this time. So we're all, as human beings, we're all trying to escape or alleviate suffering, the suffering in our life, our unhappiness. That's stating it the negative way. <laughs> we want to escape. We want to stop. We want to make something quit. Now, to state it positively, we're seeking joy. We're seeking bliss. We're seeking that innate joy that we know we have within us. Like Hafiz said, the feeling, I wake up happy before I have any reason to be. 
Now, isn't that what we would all like to do? Wake up happy every day before there's a reason. Just to have that feeling. Unfortunately, every single person in that I know of in the world has experienced some kind of suffering, some kind of sorrow, some kind of trauma. None of us have had a perfect life. Much as we, some of us would like to tr- fool ourselves and say, yes, I had no problems in my life. I remember talking to one person. <laughs> she said, I said, didn't you argue with your brothers and sisters? No, we've never had an argument. Now, I mean, is that real? <laughs> Maybe she didn't remember them, but I mean, I can't imagine that. And I didn't have brothers or sisters, so <laughs> I still can't imagine it. Um, we have experienced these things either individually or collectively. When we experience things like war, that's a collective trauma and a collective suffering. When we experience an individual one, that's intrinsic to our embodied being. But we all have done it. We have all experienced these negative things in our life. And if we tend to want to forget them, just turn on the television and watch the news. You cannot forget one thing. We watch each day school shootings, war, oppression, victims of abuse, everything. Do we see good news? Not too often. One of our local stations has what's good with our community. I like that. <laughs> that and the weather. <laughs> Weather's semi predictable. But these things are facts in our lives. They are part of our reality. But to continue to relive and identify with these events in our lives is the working of our worst enemy, our negative mind. Focusing and reliving all the negative So that puts our best friend, which is, we can say, two halves of our own mind. Our best friend then has to do some monumental work (laughs) to stop this habit. So many people, philosophies, self-help books, shout at us, the past is over. The future has not happened. All we have is now. Now, I mean, everyone stop and think about it. Right now. You're not, I hope you're not suffering. Maybe the chairs are uncomfortable. But um, Think about what's happening right now and what put you, why you're here. That's all that we have. We don't have what happened yesterday or what happened, what's going to happen tomorrow or even what's going to happen in two hours. So now when things come up, we have the choice. We have a choice of whether to identify with the negative events or to try and find the positive. Doesn't mean that when you try and find the positive does not mean you won't feel pain, you won't feel frustration, you won't get, um, everything will just be, as one of our nuns used to say when discussions got too heated, let's talk about flowery China. (laughs) 
No, I mean, <laughs> let's change the subject. Um, but we have that choice of what to identify with. That is our choice in life. Many people have severe illnesses. Some people have debilitating um, situations. Does that mean that they want to become the illness or the situation? I was watching television the other evening and I saw this, I don't know what, I don't know what it was. I got in in the middle of a program about a wounded war vet who had not lost his arm thanks to a good surgeon, but had been so badly burned. And he was starting a group that was, he said, we all have to live our lives still. We can either sit back and become the victims, or we can consciously choose to say it happened, now what am I going to do? And so he started a, a rehab center, and he said, everyone who walks through this door has to be cheerful. You're going to make jokes, we're going to laugh, and we're going to have fun. And he said, people walk through on one leg or, you know, with all kinds of terrible things. But it's, it's implementing that choice that we have, how we view what has happened to us. It is, is it a prison said? sentence, or is it an opportunity for growth? If we choose to identify with the more positive, we are actually choosing to identify with our inner divinity, our Atman. Because the positive is just as real as the negative. It isn't something we're making up. It is real. As real as the negative. All of them take place in the scope of maya, which is, a, you know, our collective delusion. But um, the pairs of opposites exist all the time in maya. That's one of its definitions. So for every bad thing, it's equally balanced by the positive. Negative is balanced by positive. Truth by untruth. All of these things, in the cosmic sense or the overall sense, there is balance. It's not just a collective chaos. So, we cannot, or we don't, I would say we don't want want to consciously choose to ruminate over every negative that ha thing that happened in our life. We have to put new ruts in our mind because our mind is a whole bunch of ruts. <laughs> and the more we think about something, the more power we give that thought and that emotion the more we concentrate on it, we give it extreme power. And it's, we truly want to uncover the joy that we have underneath all this. 
Swami Sarvagatananda, there's a new book out that of collections of his sayings for, well, I don't know, five or six years towards the end of his life. And he said, well, entertain only pleasant thoughts. Life is too short for to waste time on gloom. I mean, think about that. I, feeling, I think pleasant thoughts are positive, looking for the positive. I don't think he means to say, like, shortly, flowery China and Pollyanna-ing. But we need to have, how do we do this when the negative thought or the negative reaction comes up? It's really, really hard work. But as they said, recognize the feeling first. Take a step back. All of a sudden, someone cuts you off in traffic, and as one of the nuns, when I first moved in, said, don't bark at that car. <laughs> I had a tendency to... <laughs> um, take that, you know, count ten before it comes out of your mouth, like your grandmother told you. Um, look before you leap. These things are all, all these old saws are something to make us take a look at our mind and how it's acting. They're not just silly things, you know, your grandmother or your great-grandmother told you. They really have a lot of wisdom in them, and they're very short and easy to remember. (laughs) Now, another thing, um, we have so many things as we're trying to train our mind to become more positive and break our bad bad habits of um, going over, well, they said that to me and what I could have said back to them, and you know, and why did they say that to me? And da 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 da, da and we're just digging that hole. We're digging a trench in our head. <laughs> we are really doing it to ourselves because it's over. They're gone, and we didn't say it. (laughs) So the other thing is, this is also to quote Swami Sarvagatananda, innocent indulgence. Now, we all have little things we just as soon do, and they're not harmful. They're just something to fill time sometimes. Innocent indulgence is the greatest danger because it's like going unintentionally down a small incline until it's too late and you can't stop it. The way to avoid it is constant alertness. It doesn't say you can't have the innocent indulgence. It just says, be alert. Can you stop it? Oftentimes, people will make an excuse, oh, I can meditate later. Uh, There's something that I have to do right now. It's more important. Well, that can become a habit. We have to decide which is the most important. We all have things that... We all make excuses for ourselves. Every one of us. I mean, we're very gentle with ourselves. We're not so gentle with our neighbors, but we're very gentle with ourselves. We have a reason for what we do. (laughs) They may just be doing it. 
Okay. That's when you, we have to be alert to how our mind is working and where it's going. We're not going to avoid problems. We're not going to avoid much in life. What we're going to try and do is change our thought and attitude about it. We're not going to change the world. That's practically impossible. Um, but the choices that you have to make every day, do I take the job that moves me across the country? Can I afford to live in Santa Barbara anymore? Um, should I change my child's school? Should we have a child? All of these things are things that problems, not problems, but um, questions that come up in our lives. And these are the major things where we make our choices. Think it out carefully before you make your choice. And make a plan. We do. We always make a plan. We're good at planning because we can control the future, right? So we make our plan, and then we proceed to implement it. Uh-oh, we just ran into an obstacle. Now what are we going to do? Are we going to quit? Because it's just too hard. I mean, really. Or are we going to try and find a solution? And then if we do find a solution, how hard are we going to push until we get our way? You know that old saying, man proposes and God disposes? How far are we going to push our own egocentric desire until we're batting our head against a brick wall and we finally surrender to the Lord's will. It's, these are things we have to learn. And these are the choices we come up against every single day. So we train our mind to step back for just a second. Just, it doesn't even take that much. Just, in my case, keep my mouth closed for just 10 seconds <laughs> before I blurt something out. But so many of us think we have no choice. And why do we feel this way? Do we feel it's our fate? We're doomed to this. This is what our karma has dictated. Now, many, most of you have been coming for quite, quite a while, and you know that karma can be ameliorated, can be stopped. We can overcome karma. There is only one kind of karma which has to play out. And that's the arrow that has already been shot. To use Arjuna's um, example, we have three kinds. The arrow we shot, the arrow that's in the bow, and those that are in the quiver. The one in the bow we don't have to shoot, the ones in the quiver we can ignore. We cannot shoot those. So we have to go with one kind of karma. But that karma can be ameliorated by the choices that we make. It's like when they say um, someone has a tremendous automobile accident 
and they come out of that accident with a scratch on the head or a broken arm. Now, they could have been killed. That's the amelioration of karma by making choices. You have, got, you have just been the recipient of God's grace. When you have these horrible things that could have been happening, and you come out and you go, whoa, why didn't this happen? That's God's grace. We're taking care of you. We only feel that we have no choice. Because, as I think many of you heard last week, when um, our visiting Swami said that the man went into the, his, got off the plane, and he, they were all told, go to carousel number five to get your luggage. And they looked at carousel number five, and it was crowded, and there was too much stuff, and there were all these people around. So they went to carousel number six, where it was empty. And someone said, why did you go to carousel number six? Well, it's easier. But we won't get our luggage, right? This was um, simple choice prompted by laziness, inertia, and fear. We don't want to make the effort. It's too hard. And it is. To quote Swami Asheshan, life is hard. There's no getting around it. And to quote the Dalai Lama when he was asked, what's the easy, quick path? He said, no easy, no quick. That's it. <laughs> um, how do we drive these thoughts away from our minds, the negative ones? Because I've just read this book about Swami Sarvagatananda, I'm going to quote him again. <laughs> he was the head of our society in Boston and Providence for many, many years. And he's, this is his um, advice on how to get rid of these thoughts. The ego is always present and tries to assert itself in various ways. Power, position, fulfillment. The samsara will bring up un wanted thoughts. The thing is not to be frightened, but to be aware. Sometimes we are frightened by these weird thoughts that come up in our heads. Where did that come from? Awareness is the most important thing. The higher self must say to the lower self, aha, I know what you are. It's like driving down a road and seeing all sorts of things on both sides that you simply avoid. You do not stop and cry over everything. Similarly, we do not dwell on the uninvited thought or tendency. Now, do you notice that he uses the word uninvited thought or tendency? These are the things that pop up and you wonder, from where are you coming? You don't dwell on them because it deepens the impression. And the more you deepen the impression, it becomes a hole in the road that causes you to bump every time you pass over it. So we think things... He went on to say, regarding any problematic thoughts or tendencies, always remember, first... No problem is eternal. There's not one. Only God is eternal. Second, 
Don't pay too much attention to it or brood on it. Interest and attention are what give power to thought. Just say, I'm not interested, and pay no attention to it. It won't stay with you. This sounds so simple. I mean, it really does sound like a very, very simple solution. And most of us would like something much more complicated. We would like something that took up much more of our um, intellect that we could put to use. But as Ramakrishna said, religion is simple. God is simple. And we just have to do it and convince ourselves of it. I mean, in the Bible, they said the first and great commandment is to love the Lord thy, thy God, not my God. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. Okay? Not complicated. But the thing that complicates it is our egos, which want to be validated all the time. And our ego is put there so that maya goes on. The last message of Sri Krishna in the Gita, and he's speaking as the Lord to Arjuna, give me your whole heart, love and adore me, Worship me always, bow to me only, and you shall find me. This is my promise, who love you dearly. Lay down all duties in me your refuge. Fear no longer, for I shall save you from ignorance and from bondage. This is how we use our best friend mind to do to achieve this, we, we practice it every day. We're going to slip. We're going to fail periodically. But as our awareness grows and our attention to what our mind is doing grows, we will get control of that drunken monkey. And it will be a tame one that we can, that will help us get to where we want to go. But we must, a controlled mind is necessary for meditation, for success in any, in any field. Any field, we have to have a certain amount of control on our minds. So let's um, try and cultivate the company of our best friend. And I will stop there. Um... It just shows one of my vivid memories is have ever have any of you ever seen the movie Good Morning Vietnam? Okay, it's one of my favorite movies. I've seen it probably seven or eight times. <laughs> and one of the reasons I absolutely adore this movie is, of course, because I was of the era of Vietnam. And also, they're showing the most horrific pictures of the wartime. And this song is playing in the background. It 
to me, it is a very Vedantic thing, how you can have the juxtaposition of the horrific with the positive of the Lord. And um, so we have neck. Oh, Wednesday we will have our regular class on memories of loving soul, Swami Premananda. It's at five o'clock here in the temple. We're just reading the book on his teachings and reminiscences. He was a direct disciple of Ramakrishna, lived with him. Saturday at five, we'll have a gospel reading here in the temple, Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. And next Sunday will be speech karma. Now, most of us think of karma as action, but speech and thought are also karma. So Swami Veda Rupananda will give the talk on speech karma. I hope many of you can make it. And Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Sri Ramakrishna Panamastu.